Welcome to the Carlina Show podcast. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin. Today is Wednesday, August 1st, 2018, and this is episode eight of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Shannon Gilmore. I met Shannon two years ago when we started grad school together in Baltimore. When Shannon was 15 years old, a tangle of arteries burst inside her skull, and she was put in a medically induced coma for three and a half weeks. Life after her brain trauma meant short-term memory loss, a foot drag, a shake, and left peripheral vision loss. In our conversation today, we talk about the journey of who Shannon was before her trauma, who she was in the initial recovery, and who she is now. Ten years after the brain bleed, she completed an MFA in nonfiction and a thesis manuscript that is the beginning of her memoir. She says she writes to figure out what happened, to regain a sense of control, and to try and understand memory. For Shannon's contact information, visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.fireside.fm and click on Shannon's guest or episode page. You can help support the show by rating and reviewing on iTunes or visit our new Patreon page and become a patron. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search The Carlina Show. If you are watching our video interview on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. One more thing, thank you Stephen Lorca for video editing, photography, and graphic design. Now I bring you Shannon Gilmore. Shannon, hi. Hi. <laughs> We're back in Baltimore. Back in good old Baltimore. Getting ready to have our graduate readings coming up soon. And so I figured I would take this opportunity to sit down with the one and only Shannon Gilmore <laughs> and get the, get the full story from you. So, <laughs> so I talked a little bit in the intro about um, what we're going to talk about today, but um, could you just start out by telling people like what, what you're doing right now before we go back to your journey? So right now, as she said, I am in Baltimore. I am getting ready to present my graduate uh, manuscript, just a piece of it, and um, going to be finishing up my time at Goucher. Um, but I am also working at the bookstore, the Books a Million in Laurel, Maryland, um, which I love because I get to work with people and I really do love working with people and talking to people, um, which mm -hmm. is fun, um, selling things, being around books all day. Mm -hmm. And then do you also do um, stuff with horses? I do. Um, I, was I was a dancer when I was little. My mom put me in dance classes when I was three years old. Mm -hmm. And I liked it at first because I liked dressing up and I was like any little girl who just wanted to be mm -hmm. pretty and beautiful and not clumsy. But alas, I am clumsy. <laughs> so I began to hate it as I got older and realized that I wasn't good at dancing. Um, I do still dance sometimes because it's fun, mm -hmm. but not so structured as ballet or mm -hmm. tap or jazz. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I, um, I, when I was eight, my mom finally let me switch. She said, you can't quit. I will not have a quitter in my house. <laughs> and um, she said, if we, you, you have to pick something else. Mm -hmm. She said it would be switching, not quitting. So I went up to my room with its pink carpet, which I loved, and I sat and I thought and I thought and I thought and I looked for any kind of inspiration, and it hit me probably by a book on the shelf, probably Black Beauty or something, and I said, I want to ride horses. So I went back downstairs and I said, I want to ride horses, and my, my mom said, 
ooh. And my dad said, well, she'll be so scared of him anyways. You know, it won't even matter. We won't have to pay that much because it'll just be over in a minute. And so my mom found a barn that did a free introductory lesson. And um, my dad said, yeah, well, free, we'll do it. And um, so then that was the end of it. Okay. Because it's been many years. And so I bought my first horse when I was 15. When you're 15. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you growing up and um, like your, your family, a little bit about your, your family. Yeah. So I'm the youngest of six. I have, my sister is the oldest and then there's four boys and then there's me. So me and my sister are the bookends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love being in a big family. Mm-hmm. I think it is the greatest mm-hmm. um, because I have so much support all the time. Um, if I ever need anything, I know I can call them mm-hmm. and they know they can call me too. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about your parents. Um, so my dad was the chief of police of Laurel for many years. Um, he's been a, he was in Vietnam. He, um, he's very structured and he likes to be in control as do I. Um, in which branch and, of the military? Oh, he was army. Oh, okay. He was 173rd airborne. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he likes to be in control, and so do I, and so does my mom. I think all of us kind of mm-hmm. like to know what's going to happen next and where we are and where we're going and where we've been. And what does your mom do? Or my, what, what mom? my mom is a special ed teacher. Okay. So right now she works with infants and toddlers, mm-hmm. um, babies, and she kind of tests them and gets them ready to go to school okay. and ready to be part of the the program and have the support that they need. Okay. So then you got your first horse, or you started horse lessons when you were eight? When I was eight. And then you got your first horse when you were 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. And which which month was that? And that's it's significant in the, in the story, right? Oh, yeah. So I bought my first horse in July 20, two, 2007, sorry. Um, July 2007. Okay. And you could, could, you, could you talk a little bit about the horse and <laughs> the experience of taking care of it and all? Yeah. So Sierra, who I named myself because she came to the barn in, I think, probably the spring of 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, she came and she was covered in fungus. I wasn't supposed to ride her the day she came. And really, you shouldn't be riding the horses the day they come, but cut that. Um, you shouldn't be what? Riding the horses the day they come because they should, like, settle in. Oh, okay. But, okay. And um, why was she covered in fungus? Um, so she came from auction mm-hmm. to the barn where I rode. They, uh, the barn where I rode took a lot of the horses from auction, and then mm-hmm. they kind of, the ones that they could, they would train and fix, um, not mm-hmm. fix, but fix. Yeah. And um, and they would train and retrain, and, uh, and then they would become either school horses where mm-hmm. the lesson people who were riding in lessons could Mm -hmm. ride them and learn on them and learn how to control them and how to Mm -hmm. be better riders or they would um be worked with with just a couple people or Mm -hmm. they would get bought Mm -hmm. and somebody would own them or they would go back to auction okay so then what did you do with this horse or So, so this horse um she was like i said covered in fungus she was so fat that many of the people at the barn thought she was pregnant. Turned out she had worms. Um, she had scabs all over her legs and all over her back, all over her belly, all over her face. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, somehow it became on me <laughs> to kind of 
care for this horse and I'm always up for a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I always have been. I like to prove myself in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So um, I named her Sierra because I, Sierra Mist, because I don't, at, at the time, I didn't really like the soda Sierra mm-hmm. Mist, and I thought that I was being funny and spiteful. Because you didn't like this horse Because I didn't really like her the first time I rode her, because the first time I rode her, she galloped around the ring for an hour. Yeah. And I couldn't stop her without running her into a fence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it ended up being okay. They, the, my instructors had me keep riding her and fixing her fungus, giving her baths daily, and I, I did. I loved it. I loved working with her because I felt like it, it gave me purpose. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't always love it because she, she made me feel like I wasn't in control. She would run away with me. She wouldn't stop when I told her to stop. She, would, she never bucked. She never reared. She never tried to get me off of her back. Mm-hmm. But she showed me that she didn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was a challenge and Mm -hmm. I liked that and she, I think she kind of liked it too. She kind of tested me and I tested her and Mm -hmm. we, we found, uh, from when she came to the barn in the spring, as we got to know each other, we kind of found a way Mm -hmm. with each other. And so I said I was giving her daily baths and when, um, there was one day when I was giving her a bath, and you're not supposed to spray the horses in the face mm-hmm. um, because it can hit their eyes, it can hurt them, it's going to scare them, it can make them, it's for many reasons, you're not, like you wouldn't want me to spray you in the face. Mm-hmm. But, sorry, I'm uh, looking for my water. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but I was so frustrated with all of the fungus all over this horse's body mm-hmm. that and the fact that I was picking her scabs and she was kicking out because it hurt. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that she was kicking me. Mm-hmm. So I was so frustrated that I um, just swung the hose, not swung the hose, but I swung up my arm, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it splashed her face. And she loved it. <laughs> that stupid horse <laughs> loved it. And I was thought I was being a horrible person. Like I was gonna, uh-huh. she was going to be so mad. She was going to spook. She was yeah. going to be really upset with me and she would know I didn't like her. But then she loved but it. But she loved it. She lifted up her lips and she opened her mouth and she flapped her lip and she drank the water. Yeah. And I was like, oh, she likes this. So that became our thing was I would let her drink the, the water from the hose and and she, about what month was that? Because you got her in July, and then about what month was it that she that this happened? It was before July. It was before I bought her. Oh, okay, okay. So then you bought her after that. Yeah. So okay. that was that was at the beginning when I was still working with her um, okay. to get her to a point where somebody would be able to buy her. Okay. And um, then that somebody ended up being you. And that somebody ended up being me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And that was in July. Okay. So then. Um, so bring us to, is there anything else that you wanted to mention between July and then what happened in, was it November? Well, I guess just that, who I was then. Uh-huh. Um, I was a straight A student all the time. I never studied. I just, it was easy for me. School was easy for me. Life was easy for me. Riding horses was e- easy for me because mm-hmm. I was, and this sounds kind of cocky like people might be annoyed at me I'm sorry people (laughs) but um but I was 
good at everything that I tried. Mm -hmm. If I tried it, I could find a way to be good at it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I didn't know what it meant to fail. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay. Okay. And so having Sierra and then having the challenge, did that sort of feel like a little bit of a failure or something that you wanted to overcome? I, you mean the challenge with Sierra? Yeah. I think that it was, it was exciting. It was, it was something that I could prove to people that I could overcome, Mm -hmm. that I could train this horse and I would be beautiful and I would be in dressage shows with her and I would event her. And I was, I was on like probably five show teams Uh when I bought Sierra and she shouldn't have been on them because she was you know, she wasn't trained well mm-hmm. enough and she should have been doing walk trot. Yeah. She shouldn't have been doing what we were doing. Right. Um, because I was on a hunter jumper show team, which was um, just going around the ring being, you know, it's a different way of riding. You can look it up. Mm-hmm. But I was also on a dressage show team, which is like ballet. It's all about control. So I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on, I was just starting on an eventing team, mm-hmm. which is dressage, uh, show jumping, which is timed in an arena, mm-hmm. and cross country. Wow. And she should not have been doing cross country. It was uh-huh. not safe, but it was fun. And she loved it, and I loved it. And uh-huh. When we stopped at the end, I felt like I was in control. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and when we went through the fields on over the jumps, I felt like I was having the time of my life. It was yeah. such an adrenaline rush. Well, good, good. Bring us up to November 2007. So... Um, I, what do you remember from that that day? Not much. Um, it was November 18, 2007. Okay. The night before I went to the school play, mm-hmm. it was Little Shop of Horrors. Um, and I took somebody from the barn, so I thought it was really cool because I was kind of merging my two lives together, which was fun. Um, my school life and my barn life. But uh, I went to the school play and came home. We, we had ice cream. And I went to bed because mm-hmm. I, I was tired. And I said, I'm really tired. But that made sense because I also woke up that morning at 6 a.m. or before 6 a.m. to be at the barn to work at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because I worked every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I rode at 9 a.m. and I rode at 3 a.m. 3 p.m. on Saturdays. And um, then I came home and I showered and I went to the school play. And I can cut a lot of this. Um, <laughs> I'm rambling. And I um, came home and went to bed because I was tired. Uh-huh. And about uh, and this story comes not from my memory, mm-hmm. but from a compilation of what I've heard from other people, mm-hmm. what I've heard from what am I doing with my hands? Um, <laughs> what I've heard from other people, what I've um, kind of see. I, I've had flashbacks, mm-hmm. but not. Um, I don't remember this. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I woke up at about three or four in the morning and I went to my parents' room. Somehow I managed to get there Mm because if, I mean, I really should not have gotten there. Mm -hmm. Um, I should not have been able to get up, but I got to my parents' room and I said, mom, my eye hurts and my right eye was really bothering me. And she said, well, why does, your, why does your eye hurt? And I said, I don't know, it just does. And she, 
she said, well, like, so like any, any parent, she tried to figure out why. And she said, well, did you fall off a horse yesterday? And I said, no. And she said, well, did you run into something and hit your head? And I said, no. And she asked a million, not a million, but quite a few questions. Mm -hmm. She said, did you fall asleep while you were writing in your journal and stab yourself in the eye with a pencil? Like it got extreme. She was very specific. Mm -hmm. But I did not. Um, and every answer to any of her questions was no. Mm -hmm. And she said, um, okay, well, you know, take two Tylenol and, and go back to bed. Mm -hmm. And any other parent, any other kid maybe, would have just left it at that. And I would have gone back to bed and I probably would not have woken up in the morning. Um, so I'm very grateful to my mom and dad who took me seriously mm -hmm. when I said my eye hurts. <laughs> Cause like, what do you do for an eye hurt? Mm -hmm. But um, then she realized that my right hand was shaking, mm -hmm. um, which it still does, not as bad. But like, if you look at it now, you can hardly see it. Mm -hmm. But I can, it was really trembling. Mm -hmm. My my body didn't look normal. It didn't look like me. My face kind of lost mm -hmm. its, mm -hmm. its look mm -hmm. at affect. And my, my ankle was starting to curl in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, she, she said, well, you know, she and my dad realized it was serious. And because my parents were in the positions that they were in with my dad being the police chief and my mom being a teacher, they, they handle emergencies fairly well, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. So, um, the, she, my dad called 911 right away cause he knew he couldn't wait. He, uh, knew it was important. And my mom, uh, went to get, said, Shannon, stand up. We're going to go downstairs and wait for the ambulance. And she said it again. And she said, Shannon, stand up. And I said, I am. And she said, no, Shannon, you're not. Stand up. And I said, Mom, I am standing up. And maybe not in that many words. Mm -hmm. But I, I let her know that I thought mm -hmm. with all my heart and all my mind that I was standing up. And mm -hmm. I was laying in that bed. I had not moved. Mm -hmm. And that's when she really knew that something was wrong. Because she recognized it as my body and my, my brain not communicating. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she, that's when she, that's when it hit her. This is serious. Mm -hmm. So my dad, um, called 911, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, my mom went to, she realized that I wasn't standing up mm -hmm. and she, that she knew it was my brain because she was like, if it's her body and her brain aren't communicating, mm -hmm. it's gotta be something wrong with her brain. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was her, her guess. But she went to my brother's room, because as we know, I have four brothers. At the time, three of them were living at home still, mm -hmm. and one of them was bigger. <laughs> um, so she went to his room, and before she got to his room, um, he was already awake. He already and sensed he, that something he, was he going on. He sensed it. He yeah. could feel, I don't know, he could feel the tension. He could hear her feet. Um, and he, he, he was awake before she got there, but she... She might have yelled his name. We mm -hmm. don't know. Yeah. But, um, but she doesn't remember that. She thinks that she woke him up. But, yeah. But, um, but she said, um, Brendan, come on. You know, your sister had a medical emergency. Mm -hmm. And his first thought was that Carrie, our oldest sister, 
um, had an, had a problem because she had just in, on in October 9th, I think, had her first son, mm-hmm. and he was huge. He was massive. So um, so uh, the, he thought that something had gone wrong with that, mm-hmm. um, and he wasn't massive, but <laughs> but he was a very big baby, and um, so he said, "Oh no, Carrie, what's wrong?" And she lived in Virginia, and um, so he was ready to be there in Virginia, and and she said, "No, Shannon," mm-hmm. and he jumped out of bed before like when I interviewed him for my manuscript and he um, he said I don't think I've ever moved so fast in my life and I told my mom that and she said oh I know he's never moved so fast in his life he was out of that bed uh-huh. and um, so he ran to my parents room down the hall it's a pretty long hall because it's a pretty big house with six kids but um, he ran down the hall and was looking at me and he immediately thought that I had had a stroke um, because he um, noticed just the way that ever all of all of the signs that I was showing with my one side wasn't responding, my body wasn't right. But I was still, I I think for a while I was still talking. Mm-hmm. I was still maybe not clearly or mm-hmm. you know, but I was still communicating with them and telling mm-hmm. them that things were not right, and I knew mm-hmm. that my body didn't feel right. Um, but <laughs> Brendan again told me stand up and I'm telling this really long. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. okay. So, uh, Brendan said, um, come on, Shannon, let's, let's go. I'll help you. And I thought that I was helping him help me, but I, I mean, they were watching me. I was not helping. Yeah. I was not in control of my body. And so he, um, propped me up and he carried me downstairs and he uh, and at the time, my other brother, who was at home, Ryan, he um, he set out had set out a chair, or maybe my dad had, and um, and I Brendan put me down in the chair, and I um, where am I? <laughs> I? So he carried you down. Your he, brother carried you yeah, down the stairs he carried and put you in a down. chair. And I um, had a seizure. And so they did all the things. They put me on the floor and everything. Or no, not yet. Hold on. Back up. Back <laughs> no, that's up. That's okay. That's okay. So, um, so they were sitting there, and they're trying to figure everything out. They've already called the ambulance. They're mm-hmm. waiting on the ambulance. And I'm sitting there, and, um, and I said, I think I'm going to pee. And, and nobody was, everybody was like, what? <laughs> and I said, I think I'm peeing. And I had my seizure. And um, and I had absolutely zero control of my body, and I think that was scarier for everybody else mm-hmm. because they were aware of it. Like as I think about it now, I don't remember this. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I just it's not a memory that I have, but it's still it feels like a it feels like a like a story. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it becomes more real to me when I think about it, and I'm like you know what, that happened to me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that happened to me. Right. And that's really crazy. But, um, but, uh, so, so I had the seizure and I had at least, I had a couple seizures, maybe one or, one or two before the ambulance got there. 
And then the ambulance got there and they called immediately for a second ambulance because they knew it was very serious. And um, nobody uh, could ride in the ambulance with me because they called for extra crew. They, they knew it was serious. Um, and they knew that it was bad. So, um, so they took me, to, well, after asking lots of questions and lots of other things went down in the foyer, um, good and bad things. Um, they took me in the ambulance by myself to Laurel Regional Hospital, which is two minutes, if that, less than a mile from my house. Mm -hmm. So um, so that was good that we were so close in proximity that mm -hmm. they could take care of me. Um, however, Laurel Regional Hospital does not have a neurology department or a neurosurgery, any of that. Mm -hmm. So um, they knew right away, which they made the absolutely best call they could have made when they said, we can't help you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so they helicopter. They called right away to Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., mm. and um, they helicoptered me to Children's, um, which when I was 15 years old and I was coming back and I, I spoiler alert, I am fine. <laughs> but um, when I was 15 and I was coming back and I was kind of coming back to myself, I was furious. <laughs> I was so mad that I got to ride in the helicopter and I didn't remember it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was really upset about it. Um, but <laughs> anyways, I got to ride in the cool helicopter <laughs> and um, I got to Children's faster than my family, but they had already signed the paperwork at Laurel. And before I, uh, before they even got there, I was already in surgery. And I had a craniotomy, which basically means that they cut my skull open and they hinged it like a door in case they had to go back in again. Wow. Um, so my neurosurgeon, Dr. Robert Keating at Children's is phenomenal. He is wonderful, and later he told me that the um, that he was very careful when he opened up my skull. He said um, that something along the lines, and of course I was very early in recovery, so this might not be an exact quote, but he said something along the lines of, my kids would have killed me, my daughter would have killed me if they had found out that I shaved your whole head. <laughs> And I can't imagine how hard it would be for you to have, have had to gone back with with everything, whatever you would have had to go back with, we, which we couldn't have predicted, but with without with looking so different from your identity. Mm -hmm. And so he, I have just a little tiny, I mean, well, I have a little tiny bald spot and it's just about this big, mm -hmm. a couple inches, but... Um, but it's recently been getting smaller because there's hair growing around it, and that's mm -hmm. really exciting. Um, and then a couple – this is funny because a couple years ago, or maybe not even a couple years ago, um, maybe like a year ago, I – and it's been 2007 to now, so 11 years since this happened to me, since this mm -hmm. event. And I just a year ago realized – that I have a line, like a like an indentation, from a hole here mm -hmm. all the way down to the back of my skull, 
where I guess he must have opened me, but I didn't even realize it was a thing. I mean, I've lived for 10 years and not paid attention to my head. And I was like, I mean, I knew that there was a bump there, yeah. but I didn't realize that that was where right. he cut my head open. I mean, I, I haven't talked to him about it, but mm -hmm. it must have been. Right. And that must have been where he drilled in right here where there's a little, little yeah. hole um, to just to get my head open. And that's crazy to me that he did such a good job mm -hmm. that even I didn't know <laughs> that my head was so right. weird. Um, wow. But, mm. yeah. So, anyways, so he did the craniotomy, and then he realized that my body was going to need time to rest. So I was put in a medically induced coma, and it wasn't supposed to last that long. How long was it? Um, it was three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but they had been trying to wake me up before that three and a half weeks was over, mm -hmm. and I wasn't responding to anything. So what they do is they do uh, like they'll poke you with needles on your feet and look for reflexes, which I wasn't giving reflexes. I mm -hmm. wasn't responding to anything. Um, I was feverish for a long time for for not I don't know how long you can mm -hmm. have a fever without you know mm -hmm. having a bigger problem but I I had a very high fever for a long time um I was wrapped up in ice blankets and they covered me with they would put ice on my head and you know do different things to try to cool me down and break my fever and mm -hmm. it wasn't always good because my body wasn't responding it was mm -hmm. very imbalanced it was Right. Not working out for us mm -hmm. or them. Mm -hmm. And um, so my mom's in that little room freezing and wrapped in 100 blankets. And I'm over 100 degrees, you know. I'm right. so hot. Mm -hmm. And um, but that was three bad. And, and I, yeah. yeah, three and a half weeks. weeks. And mm -hmm. I also, I think it was when I was in coma, but I might be wrong about this. I also, at the very end of it, got pneumonia. So that was bad because when that happened, I lost, I had necrotized tissue in my lung, in my right, my, my, one of my lungs. Mm -hmm. I think it was my right lung, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, I can usually come up with that. <laughs> but, um, so part of my, a quarter of one of my lungs was necrotized tissue. And so it was, I would lose my breath really fast. I got, um, my, I had uh, feeding tubes and breathing tubes and all kinds of tubes. I had, um, my sister at one point said she counted the tubes and, um, I think the number she gave me in the interview was almost 40. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was not doing anything on my mm -hmm. own. And, um, so again, that was scarier for my family at the time than it was for me. Um, so when you, do you remember, what is your first memory after waking up? Oh, real quick, uh -huh. before we do yeah. that, when I was in coma. So uh, one of the things that people say to me when I was in a coma, uh, when, about when I was in a coma, uh, one of the kids in high school, right, pretty early when I went back to school, sent me a text and said, hey, what was it like to be in a coma? And I wrote back and said, I don't know, I was in a coma. <laughs> and every, everybody was like, oh, Shannon, you and your woody sense of humor is back. It's back. <laughs> but I wasn't trying to be funny. I was dead serious. Yeah. Um, but um, one thing that is really cool about it was that the doctors, Dr. Keating and the other nurses and everything, told my parents and my family and my brothers and my sister to play music and to talk to me like I was listening and um 
So uh, they did, and my sister and I used to really like Matchbox 20. Don't judge us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we still do, but... Um, okay. but <laughs> but um, she their new CD had just come out. I think it was Exile on a Mainstream. And she bought this, uh, had told my mom to buy the CD and play it to me because, oh, Shannon really loves Matchbox 20. And so it was a brand new CD. It came out in, I think, October. And I hadn't heard it before. And when I woke up from my coma, I was telling them the words to the songs. Wow. Because she had played it while you were in a coma? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they played other songs, too, and they did other things. But I And they they read to me from my Care Pages page, which was a Mm -hmm. um, Mm hospital-based, like, blog kind of thing where you can post updates about your Mm -hmm. family member. And um, then you don't get as many phone calls and things Mm -hmm. and visitors. So... um, they posted updates, and every day I got tens of twenties of mm-hmm. all kinds of posts, um, just responses, letting me know that people cared. Right. And they read them to me every day, every single one from the beginning. Even when you were in the coma? When I was in coma, okay. they started at the beginning every day. Right. And they read every post. And uh, my brothers would give people in my life funny voices. Mm-hmm. So... Um, they would decide certain people were British or certain people were uh, just all kinds of things. Certain Uh people sounded like comedians and certain people had, you know, different accents and things. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe not politically correct, but, but um, when I woke from coma and was getting better, it was one of the things that made me laugh. What is, what is your first memory after waking up from a coma? When I woke up from my coma, I didn't forget a lot as far as I knew my name, I knew my favorite color, I knew um, where I lived and my phone number and my mom's phone number and my dad's phone number and all my siblings' birthdays, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why it had happened to me. And I was constantly asking, why me? Mm-hmm. I was constantly asking, why did God do this to me? Mm-hmm. And whoa, that just got really serious. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a question. It's a, it's, it's mm-hmm. a thing. Um, but I was forever just wondering, why did my perfect life, have to get thrown so off track. Mm-hmm. And I was, I didn't remember Sierra. Mm-hmm. I had, because I bought her in July. So certain memories stayed, but other ones didn't. Mm-hmm. So, because memory is really funny and it's a strange thing that everybody's memories are always going to be different. Mm-hmm. And what one person remembers, even, even if somebody had had the same exact thing as me, mm-hmm. They their memory maybe they would lose their long term memory mm-hmm. just because where it hits you in the brain mm-hmm. um, and why and what day and right. the weather or whatever but um, but I did not remember Sierra mm-hmm. so when I woke up from my coma and I was coming back and they were trying to get me to answer questions and they had pictures of Sierra and my friends and my family all over my room. There wasn't a blank space on the wall. I didn't know who that red chestnut mare was. Mm-hmm. And um, as hard as I had worked with her, 
I just did I didn't recognize her. And they were showing me videos of me riding her, mm-hmm. and they made me angry. Why did they make you angry? Because it wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't someone that I recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I had a really hard time with that because all these people were telling me different versions of my life than the one that I understood. Mm-hmm. And I had an even harder time with it because... Not only did I not remember Sierra, but before Sierra, um, right before Sierra, I had leased a horse mm-hmm. named Lucy, who was a beautiful little flea bitten gray. Uh, so she was white with the little black speckles. Mm-hmm. And um, she, the about right after, right before, so I bought Sierra in July. And the week after I bought Sierra, we went to a show in Virginia. And while we were at that show in Virginia, Lucy died. Oh. And she had melanoma, and um, I love that horse. Mm-hmm. But um, but she passed away, and I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. So when my mom told me, when, I, when I'm awake from my coma and everything, and my mom says, Shannon, this horse is your horse. This is your horse. This is your horse, Sierra. And you named her, and you cleaned her fungus, and this is your horse. Mm-hmm. And I got mad. Mm-hmm. I said, no, that is not my horse. I lease Lucy. You would never buy me a horse. You don't love me enough to buy me a horse. Yeah. And, and this is coming off the medicine, or this is mm-hmm. the medication that's... Well, not just the medicine, but also just, like, just identity mm-hmm. and, and, and grief and... Yeah. Um, but a million things, um, just mm-hmm. emotions of having a brain injury, just right. that my brain was not balanced. Yeah, right. Um, but I was so angry at her for lying to me because mm-hmm. why was she lying to me? Why was she telling me yeah. that I had had this thing in my brain? And why was she giving me these letters like like AVM? And I couldn't even remember the letters, but I had had an arteriovenous malformation which just means that my brain, mm-hmm. when I was born, can I do this now? Uh-huh. Okay. So when I was born, um, I was born with too many arteries in my brain. So your arteries in your brain, this is how Dr. Keating showed me, are supposed to kind of be swimming up there, kind of entwined the right way. You know, they're supposed to work around each other. Mm-hmm. But mine, uh, I was born with too many. And we didn't know it because I never had headaches, never had migraines, never had seizures. I didn't have the classic Mm -hmm. symptoms you might expect of someone who has a problem in their brain. Mm -hmm. So, but nonetheless, they were twisted. Mm -hmm. So the pressure had added up so much and it had just been constantly building up in my brain and twisting further um, that the pressure became too much and it burst, it hemorrhaged. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Um, I was 15 years old when I woke up with those eye pains Mm. and I went to my parents' room and I said, mom, my eye hurts. Mm -hmm. And I had a seizure, peed my pants, went to the hospital, was helicoptered to children's. Right. Um, all of that happened and we really didn't have a lot of warning except in retrospect, we can say, my mom can say, Mm -hmm. well, you know, you had just started telling me that you were, you were tired Mm. And I thought not, she she thought nothing of it mm-hmm. because I was at the barn from 6 a.m. to sometimes 9 p.m. Like I was riding every day and I was right. doing school and I was still getting straight A's. So it makes sense that you but, were tired. Yeah, like yeah, sometimes you, you just get tired. Mm-hmm. But um, but 
uh, she had realized that it was something because she um, she had made an appointment for November, like the week of November nineteenth, which was the day after the week after my brain burst. Mm-hmm. But she had made an appointment to have my blood drawn just to make sure I wasn't anemic or something. Mm-hmm. And that's all she thought it was. And that's all we really, it should, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no no other symptoms. How old were you when you decided, like, I, this is something I want to write about? So I've always been a writer, mm-hmm. or I've always, you know, considered myself to be a writer. Um, but, hmm, um, I... So when when I woke up from coma, I wasn't thinking, I'm going to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that because I didn't think it was worth telling. I didn't think I was very depressed. I was very upset. I was very anxious. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't something that I wanted mm-hmm. to do. Um, but pretty shortly after, I realized, like, you know, this is important. And... Um, I started to, I had a notebook and I started to write things down, but but it wasn't like I'm a reporter and I'm writing notes and I'm interviewing mm-hmm. people. It was like me writing my understanding of everyone else's version of the story, like, like I remembered it, mm-hmm. which I didn't. So it was fiction. You know, it was like, on the night of November 18th, I woke up to a horrible surprise. (laughs) My brain was bleeding behind my eyes. You know, it was like crazy, silly things. Uh Not silly, but Mm -hmm. like it was just a little melodramatic. Mm -hmm. And it was the only way that I knew how to tell it because it was something that I didn't feel like I had experienced. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard of creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. So, um, so I was. I wasn't doing the reporting and I wasn't doing the writing of what I should have been writing. I wasn't taking notes on how I was feeling like a diary. I was just writing what I thought people would want to read. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I, uh, I kind of realized that and I just started writing like a list, an ongoing list of things. When I had a memory, I'd be like, oh, I really don't like when things beep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd write, beeping, don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'd write, because the hospital machines would beep and that meant something was wrong with me. And so still today, when I hear beeping, my heart like like my heart starts beating and my I start to shake and mm-hmm. like my I sweat sometimes and mm-hmm. oh, I hate it when the McDonald's ice cream machine is broken. <laughs> but um but it, it's it's any beeping. Mm-hmm. And um I've outgrown it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I can control it now, mm-hmm. but it still stresses me out. So you would write things like that down? Like I'd write in, things in like that, uh-huh. and I'd just write uh, beeping or, you know, whenever I had a memory, I'd write it down. Whenever mm-hmm. my mom said something, I'd write it down, uh, like, as best I could remember because I wouldn't be, like, carrying my notebook around. I'd mm-hmm. just, like, at the end of the day go, I think mom said something about this. Mm-hmm. But, um, or... Devin said something about this. That's my brother that's mm-hmm. closest to me. He'd say something about, like, he one time he misspoke. And um, there was a football player for the Redskins, and I forget who it is. It was, like, Jim Zorn or something. And he he died wh- when I was in coma. Mm-hmm. 
but Devin misspoke and said, whoever it was, don't, I don't know who it was, said, <laughs> Devin said, he was in a coma when you died. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was hilarious. Like, I don't know why. I was like, that's so funny. You don't know how to talk. So, so like, little things like that. And they, mm-hmm. were, they were insignificant. They weren't things that I needed mm-hmm. to write. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they were the things I needed to remember. Okay. And writing things down really helps me to remember, and it helps me to work things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really good. Okay, okay. So let's see here. Um, so that's when you started writing down the down the list of, of things that you remembered, and then maybe we could back back up just a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about how your how that your AVM mm-hmm. how that affected you um, when you went back to school and just yeah. in life. Like talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get more into when you decided to actually go through a a writing program. Yeah. Okay. So the side effects of AVM are different for everybody, but I will tell you about mine. Uh Um, So as a result of my AVM, I had a handshake, and it was really bad for a long time. I can control it now. But but it was really bad, and people would say, why are you shaking? Mm -hmm. Why are you shaking? Are you cold? And that drove me insane Mm -hmm. because I wasn't cold. I just had a shake, Mm -hmm. and it made me so angry. Um, I had a foot drag, Mm -hmm. Um, so people would say, are you okay? Why did you just trip? And I hated that. I have The the worst of it, I think, is my short-term memory loss. Mm -hmm. When I went back to school, I couldn't remember anything. When I was in the hospital, I really couldn't remember anything, mm-hmm. like I was saying. Um, and that that's hard because memory is so much a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And how we remember it is how we understand it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think even today, like I, I don't face the same struggle with memory because I can remember what I ate for breakfast some days, you know, mm-hmm. like I know who you are, even though I met you after the weed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can remember details that I have made matter to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with uh, too, is that they have to matter. So if somebody tells me something and it's somebody who has a very monotone voice and it's not interesting, I'm not going to remember it. Mm-hmm. almost guaranteed. I will not remember it. But if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, my favorite color is blue and I really like it because it's blue like the sky, then I will definitely remember that mm-hmm. Carlina's favorite color is blue. It's probably not. But, <laughs> like but, but, but I will remember it because it was told to me in a way that made it matter. Uh-huh. And it always has to matter. Mm-hmm. But when you're in high school and you're learning about, you know, mitosis, it's not going to matter mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a million other things that do matter mm-hmm. and you have to prioritize your memories to a level. And there's only, I mean, they say there's all the file and cabinets and there's all the doors in your brain mm-hmm. and, you know, but, um, there's only so much space sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it got to the point where I didn't even try to remember some things. Like mm-hmm. when I was, I would be upset, um, that I, I would, I wouldn't try because, I'm not going to remember it anyways. I don't need to try. Mm -hmm. So people would introduce themselves to me and I wouldn't listen Mm -hmm. because it didn't matter to me because I wasn't going to remember it anyways. But, um, but that's not a good way to be a person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so 
I, um, as my memory, like every night, every night, my almost my exclusive only prayer mm-hmm. was God, please give me my memory back. It wasn't give, give me my vision back. It was because I also lost my left peripheral vision. Uh, so I can't, when I sit here, when I look at you, I can see you. Mm-hmm. When I look at the TV over there, I can still see a glimpse of you. Mm-hmm. When I look at the computer, I don't know you're there. Okay. But I can see on this side over yeah. here. Uh-huh. I can see the, look straight and see the mirror, the mm-hmm. lamp, the suitcase, everything mm-hmm. I can see over there because I just lost the peripheral vision. Right. In both eyes. Mm-hmm. So, um, which means I will never be able to drive. And that in itself was its own struggle, but that was a couple years later. Mm-hmm. But um, but I have I had to cope in a lot of different ways, and it was very difficult coming back because I had to understand that mm-hmm. it I had to understand that my identity had changed, and um, my okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> so my parents. When we were growing up, they always said to my five older siblings and to me, every time the door opened and closed, they said, remember who you are. It was like our mantra, mantra. Mm-hmm. But, um, but a lot of our friends didn't understand that, and they'd laugh, and they'd, make, they'd tease me about it, or they'd tease my brothers. And my brothers even laughed about it. My sister hated it. And, you know, it was just something that we heard all the time, and it wasn't mm-hmm. – it wasn't – it, we were used to it, mm-hmm. but it didn't have much, you know, meaning except that it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they every time the door slammed, remember who you are. Go to practice. Remember who you are. Go to dance recitals. Mm-hmm. Remember who you are. Um, and it got drilled into my head, and I never forgot who I was in the sense that I always knew I was Shannon Gilmore. Mm-hmm. And I always knew I was born on April 29th, 1992. And I always knew my, you know, I like horses and I like mm-hmm. dogs. My dog's name is Chase. Uh, he's a Boston Terrier and I love him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew all my siblings' birthdays and I knew my nieces' names and my nephews' names, except for the ones that had just been born. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I didn't know what had happened to me Mm -hmm. and I didn't know why I couldn't remember the new stuff and I didn't remember what felt like the things that felt like they mattered because they were the now things Mm -hmm. and um Hmm. so yeah that's interesting yeah yeah so I I remembered the past things and I didn't remember the now things and the future things felt like they didn't matter some days because Mm -hmm. Why do they matter? I'm not going to remember them anyways. So what did you do to help you remember the now things? <laughs> so it was really hard because I would do things to help me remember the now things. And I would take notes and I reluctantly, very reluctantly, started keeping an agenda book at School of Planner. And um, I would write down all my homework assignments and I would do them. And then I would forget I did them, and I would do them again. Oh, gosh. But it would take me longer anyways uh-huh. because I hadn't written in so long, so my hand was shaky. My handwriting was very mm-hmm. shaky. And I would I would do all the homework, and it would be frustrating because I would forget how I was supposed to do the homework. Mm-hmm. And I would go through the process, and it would, it would take me, like, 
two hours to do the homework the first time. Yeah. And then, and it would take a normal person, say, 30 minutes. And then I would forget I did it, and five minutes later, I would do it again. And then I would realize I did it twice because mm -hmm. my mom would come up behind me and say, hey, didn't you already do that? Or, or I'd go, no, I didn't, I didn't. And she'd say, open your folder. And I would see it there in my shaky, horrible handwriting. Or, you know, I would, um, I would forget that I told a story and I would just keep telling it. And my dad would get annoyed because I'd already told it four times. Mm -hmm. Or, which actually I had a friend tell me the other day, made me laugh. Um, this is 10 years later. She said, Shannon, I really like talking to you because you never remember when I tell you stories so I can tell them again and you don't care. <laughs> and I was like, I guess that's a good thing. I mean, I kind of feel like my memory is coming back, but mm -hmm. maybe it's not coming back as much as I thought I did. it was if you told me this story five times already because I don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. But um, maybe she just didn't give enough details that I cared about. <laughs> Don't tell her that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it was, it was fine. Mm -hmm. But it, it was hard. It was hard to know that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the hardest thing for me was I kept comparing myself to who I was before. Mm -hmm. And my perfect life. And it wasn't perfect, but it was perfect for me. Yeah. And but it but but it, mm -hmm. but it wasn't either because now that I look back on that person, I realize that everything came so easy. Mm -hmm. Easily. And I see the ways that I've grown so much as a person, not just because I'm older and wiser, mm -hmm. but because I'm I've come through this mm -hmm. journey, this mm -hmm. this um yeah. this journey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you remember a point when you sort of felt that shift or you had that shift between trying to fight it and trying to be, you know, live in the then and not in the now. And was there like a time when you realized like, okay, this is who I am now? No, because um, even from the beginning when I was in therapy, my mom is a special ed teacher and mm -hmm. um, she tells she works with babies with infants and toddlers program, mm -hmm. but she tells she always has told me that she tells her families and the parents and everybody mm -hmm. that you can't look at who who how it was before. Mm -hmm. She she says you um, and I always slaughter it. I always mess it up, mm -hmm. but she says something like you have to look at this is where I am now, and this is where I'm going, mm -hmm. and you can't look back because that just gets you stuck. Right. And she told me, however, she used to tell me, she said it probably every day, uh, like, this is where we are, this is where we're going. Hmm. And I hated it <laughs> because I didn't want to go that way. Right. Be and, and, and it's still, it's still hard because people would have asked me, like, if you could go back and change it, would you? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And there came a point where I initially said would have said yes mm -hmm. because yes, <laughs> it seems like an easy answer. Mm -hmm. um, but there came a point when I started to think about it a little harder and say, you know, I don't think I would mm -hmm. because it's made me a much better person. I'm more empathetic. I can relate to people a little mm -hmm. better. I mean, I, I was always good with people. Mm -hmm. I've always been one of those people who likes to talk to people and be with people, mm -hmm. but I didn't, 
understand people the same way I do now. If somebody's having a problem, mm-hmm. I get it a little more. Mm-hmm. If somebody is is it's if something's hard for somebody, I know what that feels like now. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't think that I could do that before mm-hmm. in the same way mm-hmm. because it was just yeah it was it was a much easier life. Like, yeah, I got what I wanted because. It just happened. It wasn't because I worked for my A's. It was because I just got them because it was right. Yeah, it was the thing. Right. But um, but um, yeah. Is what was yeah. the question? <laughs> well, I was just wondering if there was a shift where you just realized, like, okay, this is you know, this is who I am, and I'm gonna do. I'm gonna you know, this is gonna be me, and and I'm gonna make the best of it. So. Um, so I think I, I, like I said, I had never heard of creative, of creative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I think when I heard of creative nonfiction, I didn't take my first creative writing class until my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, the, um, the professor told me, um, you know, your story is really important. You should look into creative nonfiction. And I was like, what's that? That's sounds like a oxymoron that's silly and um and he explained it to me and he really took the time to help me mm-hmm. and he um he made my story feel more important to me mm-hmm. because there were many times when I was like what well and you've heard it from Jacob why does it matter <laughs> and I think that everybody has that story that matters, mm-hmm. but you got to figure out why and how it matters. That's a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Mm-hmm. And so this this professor in college, when my first creative writing class, he made me feel like my story mattered and needed to be told in its truth. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started to write it more seriously. Mm-hmm. And I started to try to understand what happened to me, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is great because I'm doing this and I'm taking control of the story. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the moment I was like, this is it. This is it. And so, <laughs> so I actually um, studied abroad in London with this professor, and he, he led me through an independent study of creative nonfiction. And um, London in itself was an experience because living in London with short-term memory loss is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always with somebody just about because I was terrified of getting lost. I was mm-hmm. so scared that I was going to get lost and not find my way home. Mm-hmm. And then one day I did. You did get lost. I did get lost. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was totally lost. I had no idea where I was. My roommate told me that I would be fine if I just rode the bus home because it would be easier than the tube for me. But um, I went to take the bus and I must have missed my stop and then I missed a couple more stops and then I don't know where I was. I was in a neighborhood somewhere and there's not neighborhoods in London. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea where I was. But I was terribly lost in London. And... um, (laughs) I I fu- somehow found my way back home, and um, I I thought that I had my address 
in my purse just in case of emergencies like this. Mm-hmm. I thought it was in my wallet and I opened up my wallet and couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to panic. I was so terrified and I was ready to cry. And I took myself and I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that I would have freaked out about right after my, my injury for years after my injury, mm-hmm. because living with brain injury, um, you don't always, everything's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Everything. You know, my mom spilled milk once and I, or I spilled milk once and my mom laughed and I thought that I was dying, like, because I spilled the milk and it was horrible and she just cracked up. She was like, it's okay, why are you crying? And I'm like, because I spilled the milk, look, it's on the floor. <laughs> and she's like, that's okay. You know we can clean it up, right? Like, no, I didn't know that because I wasn't thinking like a person who hadn't just had a brain injury. Right. So, um, but I'm lost in London and I knew I couldn't freak out. I, it was okay. It wasn't the end of the world. And that was a big breakthrough for me. And I'm, I, I took myself and I sat myself down on a bench and said, people will just think I'm sitting here thinking. <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Cause that's the thing. Once I cry, I lose it and I'm gone and I don't come back. <laughs> but, um, but I thought, and I thought, And then I was trying so desperately to think of my address. And I thought I had it in my purse, but it wasn't there. And I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, okay, well, think of of landmarks. And I was like, okay, there's a bookstore. What's the bookstore called? What's the bookstore called? And I thought of the name of the bookstore. And then I was like, wait a second. There's like hundreds of those. There's one in every city in London, like every quarter of quarter. Every part of London has the same bookstore. It's like, and I was like, well, that won't help me. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, what else can I think of? And I was thinking very slowly, little things were coming back. And I thought, mansion. And my apartments were called the mansion. So I didn't know where they were. And I knew it wasn't really a mansion. So I was like going up to random people like, hey, do you know about the the mansion apartments? (laughs) And people are like, no. (laughs) So that was not helpful. Like people were probably like, "What's wrong with this girl?" <laughs> and um, I then it it hit me again, and I remembered um, Chelsea, and that was the city that I lived in. And I was like, "All right, mansion apartments in Chelsea." And I met this old man. I crossed paths with this older man, and I said, "Hey, like I'm trying to get to the mansion apartments in Chelsea. Do you know the way?" And he said, "No." <laughs> and I was like, great, thanks. And he goes, but I can look it up on my phone. So then he finds the directions and he points me, he tells me which way to go. And I know that I followed his directions perfectly. I'm positive. And I went probably a lot in the wrong way. <laughs> I was not even close. I think I was farther than where I started. Oh, no. And so then I'm freaking out again. And I'm like, I have to find a way somewhere. (laughs) And I see this young girl. She's probably about my age. And I walk up to her. She's sitting at a bus stop. And I go, hey, I just got directions from this old man. And he gave me the wrong directions. And I am just trying to get to the mansion apartments in Chelsea because I'd written it down. You know, like I wasn't going to forget it again. (laughs) And um, and she said, oh, I don't know where those are, but let me look it up. And she looked it up, and with the kindness of her heart, she took the time to write it down. And she gave it to me, and I had it with my little paper that I had written down that said, Mansion, 
Chelsea. <laughs> and that was all I knew. Uh-huh. And uh, she gave me the direction. So I start walking because I was like, I'm not getting on the bus again because I'll miss the stop and I'll get lost all over again. So I just started walking and I walked for a very long time. And then I saw the bookstore and I was like, oh, good. And I saw Fat Book, which was the Asian restaurant. And I went, oh, good. And I started to recognize things and I felt calm and I felt relaxed. And then I saw my apartment and I went inside and my roommate wasn't there and I lost it. (laughs) I bawled for like probably a good 50 minutes and I was shaking uncontrollably and I was laying on my bed and I wasn't a person anymore. I was just, I was out of it. Oh, wow. And, um, and then I got up when I was ready and I went to my computer and I sent my creative writing professor a very angry email because just the day before he told me he thought that I was really improving with my memory and maybe I was ready to, um, to explore London by myself. And though it hadn't been intentional, I knew that he had jinxed me <laughs> and I sent him a very angry email <laughs> and then I turned it into my paper that week for my um, travel writing class. Oh. And, uh, and it, it all worked out, but I think that that was the moment that I realized, like, you can handle this, mm-hmm. and you, it's okay that you have memory loss, because you can find ways to get around it, and even if you get lost in London, like, you're gonna find your way home, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a big breakthrough for me, that, like, I think that going to London was a big thing, and it was a big, like, independence thing, because I, I will never be able to drive. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that strips me of a lot of the independence that I will, mm-hmm. that I could have as an adult. Mm-hmm. But when I was in London and I was taking public transportation and I was getting lost and, you know, that moment, I was like, you know what? It's all going to work out. It is all going to work out. And then, um, and and then it just felt better. And then I could get around London. Mm-hmm. After I got lost, I was more confident because That day when I got home, I realized, you know, I did have my address in my bag. It was in a different part of my wallet than I remembered putting it. Mm -hmm. But I had it the whole time. It was Mm -hmm. always with me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was a little braver after that. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world next time. Right. Because, you know, things happen. Right. Yeah. And I just got to remember who I am. Mm-hmm. and it'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then um, so then you started um, started grad school, yeah. or is there something in between there that you wanted so, to mention? I don't think, oh, so, yeah, so I'm going to brag for a minute, because okay. yes, I like absolutely. me. <laughs> so, uh, so my project that I did in London for my independent study was my first experience writing creative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Well, my my class before that with that professor, and then my time in London was my elective. Um, And I wrote the first part of my Mm -hmm. thesis uh, that I did in grad school at Goucher, Mm -hmm. and it was just my first crack at it. And I didn't realize that when I published it in the college literary magazine, it was entered into different like contests Mm -hmm. and until I was at work at Books a Million one day about uh, 
I was, I think it was after I graduated from college and I got a phone call from my professor and he's, he, I didn't answer cause I was working, mm-hmm. but I called him, I got the voicemail and, and he said, Hey, call me back. And I was like, that's so weird. Why is my college professor calling me? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, he told me that I had won the CSPA award, the gold circle award for Columbia Scholastic Press Association. Wow. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy because, wow, there were uh-huh. a lot of mistakes in there and I think I wrote some things a couple times and like, because the hardest thing with me and my writing is my memory that mm-hmm. I forget I've written something mm-hmm. still and I will write the exact same sentence on the same page and mm-hmm. not know that it's the same mm-hmm. or three pages later and not know that I wrote it already. Yeah. So um, that's where a good editor comes in. <laughs> so you can work around your problems right. and I'm starting to realize that and yeah. that's helped me astronomically so that gave you some confidence yeah so that gave me some confidence that Columbia mm-hmm. godsend mm-hmm. Uh, and um, then uh, he encouraged my professor he encouraged me to look into MFA programs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even know what an MFA is, but okay. So, and my mom is, is a teacher who loves to learn. Mm-hmm. And she was getting her master's when I was sick. And somehow she got her master's when I was sick. She did all the assignments and she turned everything in and she did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really encouraged me to... Um, to, to do it now, to, to just do it. If I thought that it was something that I wanted to do, then Mm -hmm. I should do it. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so hard. I mean, I still cry and call you. I, Mm -hmm. I cry at McDonald's sometimes because the ice cream machine is broken and I just can't do it. (laughs) And she, she told me, you know what, Shannon, you can. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I started to think about it. Mm -hmm. And that that's that uh, Columbia really encouraged me mm-hmm. um, the, the award because I was like you know what I can do this mm-hmm. and my professor encouraged me and my other professors encouraged me and um, at Mount St Mary's mm-hmm. which was great and um, it was it w- it felt right mm-hmm. and I'm all about things that feel right um, I'm always like. Was there a sign? (laughs) Does this feel good? You know what? It's raining today. I don't think this is gonna work out. (laughs) But um, but it it felt right, and so I came to Goucher, Uh and these two years flew by. (laughs) So talk a little bit about how you managed to write a. I don't know. Was your it was 150 around 150 or so page thesis? How did you? How did you manage to do all that you did? I think I had to work not not harder than anybody else because getting an MFA in nonfiction is not an easy task. Mm-hmm. But I had to be more aware of what I was doing mm-hmm. at any given time. So um, I recorded my interviews. Um, interviews with who? With my family mostly. Mm-hmm. So you um, interviewed them. You interviewed mm-hmm. all your family members. I interviewed my mom many times. My dad. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have a lot of interviews to do. So this is not a book yet. Mm-hmm. It is still well on its way. Mm-hmm. But I interviewed my siblings. And my favorite interview was um, with my riding instructor, mm-hmm. Aviva, because she just, she was... It was. It's different to interview a family member. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's different to interview a family member, and I had never really had experience with interviews before I came here to Goucher. And when I um, my first interview was with my mom, and it was about the night of, and it was emotional. It was. It was hard, mm-hmm. and she gave me a lot of information that I didn't know. Like I didn't know that her grandmother used to tell her. Um, that children are gifts from God. And she said, she said to me, my grandmother used to tell me that children are gifts from God and that they're just on loan to you. And so in the car on the way to the hospital, I gave, I gave you back to him. And I was like, what? This was our first interview. Yeah. Uh That's she, I'm talking to my mom and she said, I gave you back to God. Wow. And I was like, I can't handle this. I can't, <laughs> I can't write this. Uh-huh. And, um, but, but it was beautiful little things like that in every interview that I was like, I'd never know mm-hmm. if I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. And I'd never know. I'd never know. And what would that mean if I never knew something like that? Like that's so yeah. life changing. And, um, but I also at the same time still didn't know how to write things like that and mm-hmm. I was like so I wrote and then my mom said I'll give you back to God right <laughs> but um but um it was little things like that um what was the question well and then also <laughs> so that was the the reporting where you interview family members and reporting oh, it reported it oh so my favorite interview mm-hmm. was, oh yes was <laughs> I knew I'd get there uh, my favorite interview was actually not with my family it was with my writing instructor Eva. Mm-hmm. We went out to a little restaurant and we sat there and she just was so willing to be honest with me. Whereas my family, I think even still when I interview them, there's a slight guard up because they don't want to make me cry and they don't want to break me. Mm-hmm. But Aviva has never been scared of breaking me. When I went back to riding, she was like, you're not making a circle. Make a circle. What kind of shape is that? Uh-huh. And I, I, I couldn't see the other side of the circle with my vision loss. Uh-huh. Oops, sorry. So I couldn't see the other side of my circle with my vision loss. Uh-huh. So, uh, so writing was harder. Uh-huh. But she didn't, um, didn't let me get away with things. Uh-huh. And my mom knew that. And even when she was my first visitor... Um, at the, coma, at the hospital, after, after, mm-hmm. after the coma, after mm-hmm. the hospital, mm-hmm. at, at the hospital, she, um, she kind of pushed my mom to push me mm-hmm. and which is funny because before I started writing mm-hmm. my manuscript, I always thought that my mom was so mean <laughs> and my, my writing that, um, that got the award, <laughs> I presented it at the, at the school um, and when I did the presentation, my professor who went to London with me went up to my mom afterwards and said, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that she made you out to be the villain. <laughs> and I was like, that's not what I meant to do. And my mom told me and she was like, so this is what your professor told me. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry because I didn't realize you were the villain because <laughs> that's not what I wanted. I right. don't, I don't think that at all. 
But as my writing has improved and evolved, uh-huh. I've started to see that there there's really no hero and there's no villain. Mm-hmm. Like, but um, but Aviva, if anybody was the villain, it was Aviva. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, because she um she pushed me, and I kind of when I did the interviews with her and with my mom, I realized that she was the driving force behind my mom. And and my mom said, well, Aviva was your horse trainer before, but when you were recovering, she was kind of like my trainer. Wow. Just that she, and those aren't, that's not an exact quote either. Yeah. But it was something along those lines about how like she was driving her to push me. And Aviva was a former social worker. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, I had this amazing support system mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were all working together to push me to do all the things I couldn't do because mm-hmm. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. You're making me do the things I can't do, and that's not fair. Mm-hmm. This isn't fair. And, you know, my mom had to put up with me all the time. And, and Aviva also said that your mom had to put up with you all the time, but I could leave. Mm. So I could push you a little harder. Oh. And I was like, oh, you know, uh-huh. interviewing really does help because you find out all these great little things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was because I had those people on both sides. I had the people who were there all the time who I know wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. And I had the people who came in from the outside and said, you know, my friends um, from high school who would come visit when they, when they could. And I would be mean to them because I didn't have social skills when I woke up. Uh, from coma, I was not a pleasant person at all. Um, on uh, one occasion, I had friends come over to visit me in the hospital, and they brought candy. And my mom said, oh, that's so nice. Say thank you. And I said thank you. And then I proceeded to open every single candy and eat every single one and throw all the wrappers on the floor. And my mother was so embarrassed. <laughs> But that was where I was. I mm-hmm. was two years old. I was, and I went through the terrible twos. I did, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of my manuscript as well as learning, to, like how how you like coming through. Because I had two year old temper tantrums until I was, I you know still have them sometimes. Like because mm-hmm. I just you you know brain injuries crazy. You mm-hmm. Just have crazy crazy emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, would, I had moments where I threw myself on the floor, and I'm 15 years old, 16 years old, 21 years old, throwing myself on the floor because I can't handle yeah. all of the things that are going on in my body and my head and my mind, and, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It's really hard mm-hmm. um, to not understand and not be in control, mm-hmm. but um, it's something that I, for the most part, not all the time... But for the most part, it's something I can control now. Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, is improvement and progress. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So what are some of the things that you did to help you remember to write? I remember um, you talked about, like, the Post-it notes that you would write yourself or the little messages in a notebook. Or mm-hmm. Could you talk about that a little remember bit? Remember to write or to, to live? Um, how you re- wrote your little post-it notes to remember like what chapter you're on or what you need to do to do that day yeah so the therapist from the beginning encouraged me to do post-it notes Mm -hmm. and I hated them Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to do post-it notes before I didn't think I should have to do them now 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to be me from before, not me mm-hmm. after brain injury. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, they encouraged me to do post-it notes, and I refused. And then at some point, I realized I really didn't need them. And I would start leaving them, you know, brush your teeth, brush your hair. And then I realized that, you know, a planner at school really does help as much as I hated it. Mm -hmm. And writing notes does help. And then I carried over into my writing. Mm -hmm. So I realized it was the only way I could write. Because if I didn't, if I sat down and wrote, I could usually come up with with some good words. I'd have maybe a good sentence. But it wouldn't necessarily make sense because... I'd write the same thing or I'd, you know, um, I'd go from point A to point W Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't know what was happening or, you know, or I'd stop and take a break just to get a sip of water Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't remember what I had just written. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't practical for me not to use post-it notes Mm -hmm. because... I couldn't remember, mm-hmm. and I, I still can't a lot of days. Um, mm-hmm. But using Post-it notes, I have lots of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't always make sense, mm-hmm. and they don't always make sense to me. But just writing something as simple as when I get up to go get a drink of water or to use the bathroom, writing something as simple as you stopped here, this means this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um like you're, you stopped here in the manuscript. Yeah, like okay. you're writing about Brendan when he carried you downstairs. When you come back, write about blah, 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 blah. Okay, so like you I write had that to tell, note to yourself. I had to write myself notes exactly. And I couldn't, like when I write outlines, which I have to do mm-hmm. almost always, um, I have to be very specific. Mm-hmm. Because if I say, A, um, mom's voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I have to say, when mom told you this, mm-hmm. and I have to give details. I have to do bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anything that I know I want to include has to be included on my outline or else it won't be in it mm-hmm. because I just don't remember it necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, um, so but, but using an outline really helps me. And I found out at, when I was working on my manuscript mm-hmm. – that using a reverse outline really helps me. So I'll outline it, and then I will, and I, d- I did this when I was in Will's, class, Will's semester, mm-hmm. um, Will Helton's. I would write the, the an outline, very detailed, and I would know what I was going to write, and then I would write it, and I would go back, and I would look at my outline and look at my piece and see if I had the pieces, see what I added, see how it worked out, if it made sense. And I'd go, yeah, you know, that makes sense. I like that. Or that doesn't make sense. I got to cut like three of these paragraphs out of the five. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back again and I would outline it again. Mm-hmm. But I would do it from what I'd written. Mm. And I would say, okay, this is what I wrote. So sentence by sentence, I would go, A, first sentence, I walked into the room. B, second sentence, I sat down. You know, whatever it was, mm-hmm. the scene I was writing, mm-hmm. I would go back and outline what I had written Mm -hmm. already. And that is a really helpful technique to me for me because I, it, it helps me to outline, but it helps me more to see what I've already written. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And I've re I found out afterwards because I mentioned that to some of my mentors. I might have actually done that with Michelle, so I might have done that before. Well, but when I um, when I do that, I can see what I already have on mm -hmm. the page, and I can see what's missing, and what's important to keep, mm -hmm. and what doesn't matter at all because it doesn't relate to anything else mm -hmm. that's on the page. Yeah, and it's incredibly helpful with my memory yeah. because it's just cool. So yeah. there's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, let's see. So, so you finished grad school. You wrote your manuscript. You have that. What is your, what is your next step? Uh, the first step is going to be to get a full-time job with insurance <laughs> because um, I need to do that mm -hmm. for my sake um, just to feel like a normal person. How old are you now? Um, I am 26 mm -hmm. and, and I think that it would help my dad to feel like I am at a better place in my life. Mm -hmm. I think that it would help me. I've talked to my one of my sisters-in-law about this and mm -hmm. she said, when you get a real job, you will feel better. Mm -hmm. and, she, and we're because um, it was on my birthday actually last year she said you'll go in there and you will fit right in and you'll be like this is where I'm supposed to be when it's right it's mm -hmm. right and you'll know it and it'll make you feel like you've really come through it all mm -hmm. and even if it doesn't it's just something that I know needs to be mm -hmm. in my next step mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's the first step is the, the full time job mm -hmm. uh, with benefits mm -hmm. <laughs> And then um, when I get that job, I, I will continue to write mm -hmm. because every story needs to be told. Mm -hmm. And whether I – I think I'm, I might take a, a short break from my story mm -hmm. just because I kind of want to take a breather. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a long two, two years, yeah. <laughs> and it was hard even though I could have I, – I, I'm hard on myself, so I think like, oh, I should have done so many more interviews, and I could have done so much more. But I worked hard. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and know you, you worked hard too. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a it was a lot. And I think that I need to kind of step back for a minute and mm -hmm. still still maybe try to do some interviews, but maybe not do the mm -hmm. uh, transcribe them right away, but not do the mm -hmm. heavy. This is my life kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And maybe I I think I might try to write some essays or um or. Mm -hmm. Learn about other people because every mm -hmm. like you're doing, everybody's mm -hmm. got their hero story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good, good. And then before we wrap up, is there anybody that you wanted to mention? Any mentors? Any people that you just wanted to give a shout out to? <laughs> mm, so many. <laughs> um, obviously, thank you and shout out to all of my mentors here at Goucher while they're fresh on my mind. Um, Diana. Hume George. Do I do full name? I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's okay. your episode. <laughs> so all of my mentors here at Goucher, um, Diana, Michelle, Philip, and Will, and Tom. <laughs> and also to my uh, creative writing teacher who introduced me to the genre, also named Tom. Mm -hmm. And because everybody's name is Tom. Mm -hmm. And um, all of my peers here who have encouraged me to keep writing and have made me realize or made me feel and recognize 
the importance of my story. That because I mean I feel like we all question a lot if if our story matters and why our story matters because we have people asking us why does your story matter and we say well I don't know does it <laughs> but it does and mm-hmm. every everybody's story does matter and whether you're a writer or you express your story through art or you know everybody has to find some way to get their story or their mm-hmm. their 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 who they are out there so um that I'd also like to um shout out to my parents who helped me and my family my brothers and sister for and my in-laws <laughs> for uh for helping me to re- remember who I am and never letting me forget and Aviva <laughs> mm-hmm. for all that and of course Sierra and your chase horse. your horse and chase the dog <laughs> um because animals are a therapy in themselves mm-hmm. and now i'm just listing things so i'm because <laughs> everybody else you know who you are my friends in high school and my friends since then and everybody who's been patient with me because it's not easy when i lose my mind um and who has been beyond have been so much more because it's it's just you're all great I love you all everyone who's watching this oh my gosh you're amazing thank you you can put this on I love this okay. no, I'm just whatever but no thank you all for watching this and supporting me even though we're strangers or not strangers you know you're the best yeah. And thank you oh, for taking the time I'm and believing it. in me. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go. No, I'm not. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Shannon. And I'm glad that you, you know, shared your your journey with us. And um, I think a lot of people are going to get, you know, get a lot out of this. So, I hope so. I think so. So. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh. That concludes episode eight with Shannon Gilmore. I want to thank her for coming on the podcast and sharing her journey with us. If you would like to learn more about Shannon and connect with her, visit carlina.fireside.fm and click on Shannon's guest or episode page. If you would like to support the Carlina Show podcast, please rate and review on iTunes or visit our Patreon page and become a patron. If you are watching this on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Your support helps people find the show and ensures we can continue sharing heroes' journeys with you.